You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery, or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. Well, good morning, good morning. Uh, So last week, or maybe a week and a half ago, Sarah and I got to go on a vacation. We went to go celebrate our 20th wedding anniversary. And I know what you're thinking. Yes, we got married at 15. And so we celebrated our 20th wedding anniversary, and it was awesome. We just had a week of being together. We went down a river, and I got sunburnt. Uh, It was, was, side note, this was really funny. So we had the spray suntan lotion, and she put it on me. And so I have a white streak that's like Zorro across my body (laughs) where the spray didn't disperse so well. But in it, side note, uh, it was a great trip. We had an awesome time, and, and I think, part of what made it so great was just to get away, right? Uh, I love my kids, but to not change a diaper for five days was awesome. To not settle an argument for five days was great. Uh, We love our home, but to not mow, to not do laundry was wonderful. I love my job, but to not read an email or get a text message was just so peaceful. And so we had this great week, but I think part of what made it great was just a break, In our scripture, as we've been going through Mark, we've seen Jesus sent the 12 disciples out, and they went out in pairs, and they did ministry, and they came back. And since then, Jesus has been trying to get them a break. Uh, Now, we're going slowly through this, so this has been like a month that he's been trying to get them a break. Uh, But in, in reality, it might be a short time, but still, he is trying to get them rest. They came back, and they came back from this heavy work, and, and then they came back, and, and the crowds were following them, and, and they needed to feed the 5,000, right? And, and so then Jesus sends them on ahead, and he goes to pray, and a storm comes, and Jesus got to come and, and rescue them in the storm. And then they get to the shore, and there's more crowds there, and he, they're ministering to people, and then the Pharisees from Jerusalem, like the, the Pharisee SWAT team, comes, and they ask him questions, and they bombard him, and so now there's still this pressure and they're bombarding the disciples, and they just need a break. They just need to step away for a minute to to regroup, to re-energize, to to spend time with Jesus, to hear his heart, to just hear from God. And so that's where we pick up on this story. We've been going through, and we're in Mark chapter 7. And so we have this part of the story where they're just particularly exhausted. They've been worn out. Jesus knows these guys need a break. Jesus is 100% human. He needs a break. Just needs to breathe, to get away, to take a moment. And so they get to, uh, so Jesus takes them to this Gentile territory. Maybe there people won't know who he is. Maybe there they won't be crowding him constantly, needing something. Maybe there the disciples will get a breather, will be able to walk the streets to go get something to eat without having the pressure of everyone trying to want something from them. And so we pick up on the passage in Mark chapter 7, verse 24, they head to this Gentile area. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it yet, and didn't to know it, yet he could not keep his presence a secret. He's just looking for a rest. They're in this home, him and the disciples, and they think that maybe they, they go in the darkness of night, maybe they, they hope no one knows, no one's told, but, but surely there's a servant from the house or a neighbor nearby that saw them enter in and said, I think that's the miracle worker. 
And they went and told someone at the well, and at the well that dispersed to, to various houses, and from those houses the neighborhood, and before they know it, everybody, even in this Gentile area, knows about Jesus. They know that at least the, they might not understand he's the Messiah, but they know about these miracles. They know about his works. They know that he can do incredible things. That there's something supernatural about this guy staying at this house. And word gets out and his reputation precedes him. And he could not keep it a secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his knees. The woman was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia. We know a little bit about this woman. She comes to him. We know that she, nationally she's from Phoenicia and politically she's Syrian. And the, Matthew, the book of Matthew tells a story and points out that she's from Canaan, that she's a Canaanite. And so if you know anything about the Old Testament history, there's great uh, uh, enemies between Israelites and Canaanites. And so there's this already a baggage that comes when we hear about this woman. From that one verse, we pick up on that. But also from those verses, we pick up on more. See, in this culture, it would have been customary for the man in the family to go and represent his family. Remember that ruler that came running when, when his little girl was sick that we saw a couple chapters ago. He came running up to Jesus and said, come, heal my daughter. That was his role to care for his family, to represent his family. There's no man coming to Jesus here, just the woman. And in this culture, it would have been quick to describe her as a widow because then at least we would have understand, okay, she had a husband, but he passed on. And to understand that, hey, we should have sympathy on this woman and that she, her husband has died. But it doesn't say that either. It's very specific that we know this is a woman not a widow, coming and representing her family. So it's believed that she was probably an unmarried woman who has now had a child out of wedlock. All of these things, she's a Gentile, she's a Canaanite, she's a woman, she has a baby out of wedlock, all these strikes against her, reasons that you, she wouldn't associate with a Jewish rabbi. And on top of that, her child is a female also and is possessed by demons. She has every strike against her possible, but she has faith. She has bold faith that she's willing. She knows she doesn't belong. She, she has no right to go up to a Jewish rabbi and ask for, for anything, let alone healing for her daughter who's off at the home, but she does. She's bold enough, and she has enough faith if these rumors are true, if everything that they've said about this, this miracle man, if, if they even say that he's the son of God, if this is true, surely he can heal my daughter. She doesn't care about social norms. She goes right up to him and she begs for, the, for him to heal her daughter. So she begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. She has no right to ask this Jewish, Jewish rabbi for anything, but she's bold and she does. The passage we're about to look at today is a difficult one. If you've not come across it before, it might ruffle some feathers. If you have come across it before and you're looking ahead, you're going to be like, oh, I know the one he's talking about. Because this is a verse that I've struggled with for a long time. This is a, a picture of Jesus that uh, at first it seems like this doesn't go with the Jesus we know. 
And so we're going to see what we're about to, to see unfold. And, and I did a lot of research, read a lot of commentaries this past week, and, and someone mentioned to me that maybe the scene makes a difference. We don't know, it doesn't say what Jesus was doing when the woman comes up, but perhaps he's in this home. And the scene lends itself to what Jesus says in his illustration. And it makes a lot of sense that maybe Jesus and his disciples are at a meal. They're at a table, they're eating. In this Gentile home, there would have been, uh, there would have been servants, there would have been other people. There would have been the disciples and Jesus. There would have been little dogs running around. The tiny dogs were allowed in the home. Outside dogs were scavengers, and, and they were seen as filthy and dirty, but little dogs, the yipper kind, <laughs> were allowed <clears throat> in the home. So maybe Jesus is here, <clears throat> and we hear this banging on the door. We hear a knock, knock, knock. Jesus says, keep on eating. And they continue to talk, and this knock and rattle on the door. And then they start hearing her begging, Jesus, will you heal my daughter? Jesus, my daughter is possessed. Jesus, will you open the door? Matthew says that she continued to ask, and, and Jesus didn't address it. The book of Matthew says basically that he ignores it for a little while. Then I don't know how the scene unfolds, but she finally makes it in. She makes it into the house. And she comes up, and she begs Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. She falls on her knees and begs him. I think it's interesting that if you remember from last week, we just saw these pious, good Jewish, God-fearing Pharisees come, and they have no respect for Jesus. There's no regard for him. They, they don't bow to him. They don't show him any respect. And these are the clean, holy people. And then you have this Gentile woman, this woman who had a child out of wedlock, this woman whose child is possessed by a demon, this woman who has no right to ask as Jewish rabbi, and she falls on her knees out of respect and faith to Jesus. And then Jesus says this, first let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Seems weird, doesn't it? This verse, it seems weird. I would love for Mark to have taken this verse out. I'd love to just skip this week or to have given it to Elliot, and it would have been a lot easier. But he says this, and it seems so strange. Is he insulting her? Is he calling her a dog? And why would he say that the bread is for the children and not, not for this woman and her daughter? And so we have to dive into this. One scholar, a feminist scholar, says that this is an example of Jesus' one sin. Because of the way he treated her, because it was it either racist, was it prejudice against women? What was the reason that Jesus would act like this? And, and this scholar, this feminist scholar, says this was an example of a sin of Jesus. So this is a big statement we have to unfold. Because if this is a sin of Jesus, then Jesus is not sinless then we do not have a holy Messiah. We do not have a holy Son of God. We do not have a holy sacrifice on the cross that could take away our sins. Our salvation is not guaranteed. We are not set free from the bondage of sin if Jesus has sinned. So we've got to unfold this verse 
Because there's a lot at stake here. The whole message of the cross, the message of your salvation and mine is at stake if we misinterpret this passage. And so we have to find it, dig into this, that when he talks about the dog, and, and in the Greek it's this, it's a, it's, a, it's a diminutive form of dog, it's the little dogs, it's these dogs that are around in the house. And here she is, they're eating perhaps, and he references these dogs that are waiting for the scraps. And he says, I must first, what about the children? And, and we come to understand that Jesus is talking about the people of Israel, that Jesus' ministry first came to the children of Israel. And we see this time and again, we even see this in the book of Acts. When Paul would go to a new town, he'd first go to the synagogue. He would first go try to speak to the Jews. And then he would branch out to the Gentiles. This is what Jesus is saying. That his ministry was the first priority was for the Jews. This is what he came for. This is what his ministry was here on this earth on, on these three years. He knows what the future holds. He knows that Paul will come, that the book of Acts will come, that the word will spread all throughout the world to all the Gentiles. But to now, he's starting here with the Jews. And he makes this comment to her. And initially, we might see it as offensive and rude. But we got to read into it a little bit. This woman doesn't see it that way. She's not offended. She doesn't cry out, how dare you? She doesn't seem offended by what she says. In fact, she replies, Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. What a bold woman. What a bold statement of faith. She's a Gentile. She's not an Israelite. She's not claiming to be. In fact, she knows she has no automatic claim to him as the Messiah. But all she wants is a crumb. What a statement. She's not looking for everything. She's looking for the leftovers. Uh, and she understands that Jesus is that great, that the Son of God is that powerful, that the Messiah is that holy, that this whole idea, uh, uh, this whole idea that was presented in the Old Testament that she's heard about from her Jewish friends has all led to this Messiah who is sitting here in front of her and that even his crumbs would heal her daughter. What an amazing statement of faith, Right? I look at that and I was so convicted because she was content with the leftovers because she knows that Jesus is that amazing, that his grace is that powerful. We've been given, as we, Jesus died on the cross for our sins, as we confess our faith, as we get baptized, we have been given eternity, we've been given salvation. We have been given an abundance, way more than we deserve. And what do we want? God, can you help me out with this interview today? God, can, can you kind of bless my family? God, can you give me good weather? God, I want just, and maybe it's not even superficial, but it's, it's things, God, I just want more time with him. God, I, I just want this diagnosis to go away. God, can you give me more? Can you give me more? And this woman was content with the crumbs. We have been given salvation, and yet we just want more. And so I see this woman, and I think, what an example. 
Romans 5.20 says the law was brought in, brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. This grace it is super abounding. This grace is, covers everything. No matter what we do, grace could cover that. And so she's just looking for a crumb, and God gives us this abundance, more than we could have ever imagined. Because when we look at this story, unless you have Jewish heritage, you're the woman in the story. I'm the Gentile. You're the Gentile. Sure, Romans says that we've been grafted into the tree of God, but we had to be grafted in. We've been brought in. And here's Jesus, hearing this woman confess her faith that she knows the leftovers of Jesus would heal her daughter. In Matthew, it says, I love this, Matthew 15, 28, it says, Oh, woman, great is your faith. In Mark, it says, Then he told her, For such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying in the bed, and the demon gone. I love that passage because that verse 30, right? If we can keep it up there. It says, She went home and found her child lying in the bed, and the demon gone. How do we know this? It's such a detail that Mark has. Remember, Mark's been getting these stories from Peter, one of the disciples there with Jesus. How do they know where the child was when she got home? We don't know. It doesn't say, but I can't help but think that the woman doesn't go home and see her child healed. Just grabs her and tears flowing down and says, let me tell you about this Jesus that healed you, baby. Let me tell you. In fact, let me go show you him. And she grabs the child and she goes and she sees Jesus. And here's Peter, sees her coming up again, now holding a child. And the woman says, I got home and my little girl was on bed, but she was fine. And they all rejoice. They have this detail for a reason. Somehow they knew. Can't help but think that she wasn't so ecstatic that she brought the little girl back home, back to Jesus. Oh, woman, great is your faith. See the story. And like I said, this verse is so hard to grasp. Like, why would Jesus seem so harsh? Why in Matthew does it say that he ignored her pleas for a while? Why does he reference her that she just gets the leftovers? Maybe calls her a dog. And I think the reality is it hit me this week. Like I said, I've struggled with this a long time. I've read this passage many times. I've looked at this book of Mark. It's my favorite book. And this part's always been hard. But this week, it kind of hit me. Now, if you look at this chapter, you look at that passage, but you look at it through the eyes of the whole story of God. Because this whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation is part of a continual story. It's the part of a redemptive story of God bringing his people back to him, of God making us pure and that we would be in eternity with him. This whole story is interwoven all together. And so here's Jesus, and he's sharing this part of the story. And at this point in the story, he has a purpose, and it is to minister to the Jews. And there's a reason for that, because people are getting aggravated with him. The Jewish leaders are upset. He's teaching against their, their, their ideas, against their philosophies. And if Jesus went, and he went to this Gentile region, 
And he began to heal, and he began to do miracles, and he began to do all these things, and the word got back to Jerusalem, it would be even more reason the Pharisees would come at him. And it's not his time to die yet. Jesus is part of this grand narrative. And at this moment, at this moment in this house, it's not time for the Gentiles to be reached. It doesn't mean that they won't be. No, that's what the whole book of Acts is about, that we're spreading out to the ends of the earth. This is Jesus' great commission as his last words when he goes. He goes to go to all the nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus wants the entire Gentile population to come to know him. But at this moment in this house, that's not the purpose. The purpose is to be able to minister, to be able to share. We see in Mark chapter 1, Verse 15, Jesus says his purpose at the beginning. It says, that Jesus says, this time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. This is Jesus' heart and passion. And what he's doing is he's spreading this message. And if the Gentiles, if there's great healings and things happening in a Gentile region, he's going to face more oppression. And they're going to come and try to take his life before it's time. So Jesus sees this grand narrative. And so he shares, he, he opens up this little glimpse to this woman, and yet her faith is so great, he heals her little daughter from a distance. I think as Mark's audience, Gentiles in Rome, hear this story, they would find encouragement. They feel persecuted, they feel distant, and they see that Jesus heals from a distance. They see that Jesus cares for, that he loves this little Gentile girl that he's never met. That he cares and loves for Mark's audience. That he cares and loves for each of us. These miracles throughout the gospel are there for a reason. It says that Jesus did many more things that the books couldn't contain. And I'm sure there were healing after healing, teaching after teaching that we never will see because they weren't in the Gospels, but these are in here for a reason. They weren't just happenstance and, and nice stories. John calls them in his Gospel, he calls them signs for a reason, that each of these miracles has a purpose. And so we transition to this next story. Uh, they're still in this Gentile region, and Jesus and the disciples go. It says, then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee, and into the region of the Decapolis. So he's still in a Gentile area. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. I think Mark includes this story for a very specific reason. In Isaiah chapter 35, God has been telling Isaiah that destruction's coming for Israel, that they've turned away from him, and destruction is coming, and doom is coming, death is coming. But, but I, God gives Isaiah a glimmer of hope. Isaiah 35, verse 5 and 6, he says, Then the eyes of the blind will be open, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer, and the mute tongue will shout for joy. He's saying this will happen when the Messiah comes. What is Mark included for us? In Mark 8, we're going to see Jesus heals a blind man. In Mark 2, we see Jesus healed one that was paralyzed. And here we're going to see he heals the deaf and the mute. Jesus is the Messiah that was promised long ago. 
And so we dive into the story. It says that Jesus took him aside. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers in the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. This man can't hear anything. He can't speak. So how are you going to communicate to him what I'm about to do? They didn't have sign language back then. They, they had remedial sign language, right? Where you're pointing at stuff and making birds, all right? Things like that. And so he says, I'm going to heal your ears. How would you convey that? Touch his ears. I'm going to heal your speech. How would you convey that? Open up. Touch his tongue. And so Jesus puts his hands on the man. And then, so there's no question for this deaf man that can't hear what Jesus is telling. Where is this power coming from? It's not coming from anywhere else, but from God himself. Jesus looked up to heaven and with a deep, uh, deep sigh said to him, Ephethah, which means be opened. Mark translates that for his readers in Rome. It says, at this, the man's ears were open, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. His ears are open. Imagine that. Imagine being able to hear for the first time. Imagine that he has this ability and these sounds that would come alive now for the first time. Maybe a beautiful song sound of a beautiful song, maybe the sound of a siren, you would be born For the first time, he knew danger was here. He knew to look out, he would know to get out of the streets. Perhaps for the first time, he would hear this. <laughs> when he tickles him. Perhaps for the first time he could finally speak. It says that he was, could speak plainly. And so for the first time he was able to tell someone, it hurts here. For the first time he was able to, to speak and say, I want a cheeseburger. For the first time he's able to say, baby, please be quiet. All right? That he, he's able to say these things. For the first time he's able to look at his wife and say, I love you. Everything opened up for this guy. His life was different. And I love that it happens instantly. It's an illustration of what it's like when we come to accept Christ as our Savior. That it happens instantly that our life is changed. That the Holy Spirit comes upon us. And as we're, we accept Jesus and we're baptized, our life is new. This happens instantly that Jesus comes into our life and guides us on what to do. And, and I hope that our, our purposes, our, our ideas, our focus changes. It says, Jesus commanded him not to tell anyone. Remember, if word gets out in this Gentile area, more are going to come. More miracles are going to have to happen. And the Jews are going to get even more angry. So he tells everyone not to tell. But the more he did, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. In Matthew, the summary of that they said, it says that they glorified the God of Israel. These Gentiles are now glorifying Israel's God. I love how Mark says they were overwhelmed with amazement. 
We're going to see in the next chapter, Jesus stays in this region for three more days and he continues to do ministry. But I think Mark includes this verse for a reason. There's this message, this, this theme that Mark has. There's several themes, but one of those is to hear, to hear God, to hear Jesus. Mark 4, 9 says, who, Jesus says, whoever has ears, let them hear. Jesus is saying, let them hear about eternity. Let them hear about me. Later on in chapter 4, Mark says that understanding the, Jesus says understanding the word requires hearing. It's been said, I've heard this before, that God gives us two ears and one mouth, that we should listen twice as much as we should speak. Perhaps we should take that to heart when it comes to the word of God. Imagine if we spent twice as much reading God's word, spending time in prayer listening to him than we do of giving advice and telling people what they should do. Imagine if we, we spent twice as much listening for God and his direction than we did telling others what we need to be. Are we listening to God? Are we listening to his word? If we are, I guarantee it will impact what comes out. If we're taking in twice as much as we're sending out, it's going to be an overflow of God that we're sharing with our neighbor, with our coworker, in our homes. This would be my prayer. As we close this chapter, pray that we would have faith of this mother, that we would see that just the tiniest bit of Jesus is enough, but then to realize, as Romans describes, as we have this overabundance of God given to us. Pray that we can be in his word, that we can engulf twice as much as what we give out to the world. Pray that our ears would be open. That we would be like this deaf man and for the first time, that we would be able to hear what God's word has to say. That we'd be able to hear it and that we'd be able to speak plainly as we tell others about Jesus Christ. Because the word spread in this Gentile region that Jesus is here. It's my prayer that the word would spread that Jesus is here in the lives of each one of us. If you'll pray with me. God, we just lift this prayer up that, that the word would spread, that you are amazing, that you are the Messiah. God, I pray that the, the ears of each one of us would be open, that our eyes would be open, our hearts open to you. God, if there's someone that needs to accept Jesus for the first time, let them do so today. Accept that, that immediate reality that Jesus is here with us and let us be able to talk to them and work through what that looks like. God, I just pray for each person here that they would see, see the faith of this woman who boldly came before Jesus and just wanted the crumbs and he gave her so much more. God, to let us realize you have given us so much more. In your name, amen.